Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, wishing you a very good morning, afternoon or evening, whenever and wherever you join today's podcast from. And apologies, first of all, for a bit of a croaky voice today. I'm delighted to say that I was back at my uh, my first in-person event down at Excel in London over the weekend and returned late last night. Um, and uh, it was an enjoyable experience. It was a great experience to be back at an in-person event for the first time in, uh, in 18 months. But I'm uh, feeling it a little bit in the voice today. So, so uh, apologies if it's uh, if it's sounding a bit like Barry White on today's podcast. Um, and on with the show today, I'm delighted to say that um, joining us today to discuss a fantastic document that I've been reading prior to today's recording called Organising Hybrid Events, Discover How to Run the Most Engaging Hybrid Events. It's been produced by Conference Compass, a company who I'm sure many of our podcast followers will be familiar with. And joining the podcast today is their CEO, Yelma Von Aast, to talk about this document. Yelma, very warm welcome to the podcast and welcome back to the podcast. Nice to see you again. Thanks, James. Great to be here again. And uh, as I said, um, this is a great document. You know, I, I've I've seen it briefly, but as with all good documents, you only have to look at them for a very brief period of time to know straight away that there's good content in there, that there's interesting stuff in there, that thought has been put into you know, what content has gone into there. Tell me a little bit about it. Tell me a little bit about the roadmap, um, about how it came to be and how long it took to produce and what you hope to achieve with it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a document we've been producing that combines the experience we've been gaining over the last, well, six months, six to 12 months, uh, ever since our platform really, you know, matured to do full virtual events and uh, yeah. as this year went by including hybrid events and it combines the experiences we've got with some uh, some some let's say future or forward thinking um, sort of vision statements of our own of things that you know we believe will come up even though uh, yeah we haven't seen them in, in real life so it tries to combine you know actual experience with sort of our our vision moving forward in this uh, in this space. Mm. And it, and it's uh, it's interesting, you know, within the first page of the document, um, there are some some, some very well worded um, takeaways that you can get from it. Hybrid events combine the superpowers of online and in person events to create better experiences. That's certainly something that most people would agree with. But on that first page, what jumped out to me were five trends pointing to a hybrid future. Um, the first one being smaller and more local events, which I, I, I've you know mentioned a few times on the podcast in the last few months that hybrid really gives us a good opportunity as an industry to offer smaller and more local events. Tell us why that was at the top of the list when you were putting those trends into the document. Right. So, so, so we see these trends with our own customers organizing events and looking, you know, towards the future of how to, how to, you know, design their event calendar even. And, you know, that together with, you know, trends others have been researching and publishing about. This was one that, you know, stood out. It's not, this order in, in our document is not necessarily reflecting the order of, I don't know, importance. I think mm -hmm. there are other trends as well for more inclusivity, more environmental awareness that I yeah. feel are equally important. But the smaller and more local events, I think it's, it comes down to organizers, planners now being able to, let's say, think beyond the confinements of organizing events in the past. Uh, if you organize uh, uh, an event for your community, you'd want that in the past, at least you'd want that community to be able to travel to a location 
and uh, you know you better organize you know a decent program of a couple of days in a large enough venue to accommodate that and make everybody's uh, time you know worthwhile mm. and without that confinement of needing the people to travel and, and 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 be in one place at the same time you can start thinking about other ways of organizing you know for instance smaller events smaller as in fewer attendees in person but still reaching a larger audience by you know, either a multi-hub approach or a single hub, but including uh, attendees joining online uh, mm-hmm. and then still make it, uh, you know, a cost-effective way to, to, to host that event in, in that sense. So I think that's an incredible example of um, sort of our, our, our boundaries, our confinements being broken because of the pandemic. And, you know, I'd like to think from a positive uh, state of mind, thinking that this provides opportunities to design better experiences. Do you think that in addition to smaller and more local events, we could also add the word frequent in there as well, being able to offer more frequent events rather than this confinement that you were talking about when it comes to a venue, having to, we don't necessarily have to wait an entire year for the event to come around again. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we, well, first of all, we've seen that with some of our customers, they organize a series of, let's say, times, all joined together being one what one event what would normally prior to COVID be one single event now be like a, a, a four-hour program once a month all across you know eight months of the year mm. and that really you know goes hand in hand with I think something everybody instinctively at least knows is for instance learning is well much more effective if it's done repetitively mm. instead of you know entering into a let's say in their classroom once and you know you'll you tend to forget things uh, pretty pretty rapidly after and i think that's been the experience yeah. of conferences with a lot of content as well being able to do this more regularly will i think amplify the the impact of uh, of, uh, of learning of, of education yeah but also on the on the relationship way you know we also all know that you build a relationship by uh connecting with someone over time not just once and then next year hey nice to see you again and just pick up where we if that's even possible where we left off say 12 months ago no that Mm -hmm. also building a relationship requires multiple touch points across the year so that's i think something events in this new day and age can really accommodate do you know what it's a really good point that you raise there in terms of education in that you're right to learn anything you know you have to repeat it you know repetition is the key to to learning how to do something well and 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 improve your understanding of something and um do you know what i don't think it's a point that's been raised before on the podcast about you know the opportunity for more frequent events potentially you know could present a better opportunity for learning if we're talking about events of cpds or you know experts being able to offer guidance and insight repetition is is improved learning absolutely and it's not just repetition it's also engagement that's the other main factor in learning more effectively it's to not just watch and just make your notes and let it digest no to actively participate and Mm. um, you know online events for sure and hybrid events as well moving forward are uh, much better equipped to allow people to ask their questions without feeling you know embarrassed to do so and for to upvote questions and participate in voting and q a and smaller workshops mm. all to make the content more engaging that's the second learning you know way to make learning more effective mm. uh, and, th- and then there are more ways i mean uh, another way is to um, organize um, your content not just around 
one single, let's say 30 minute or, or 90 minute session with a, a couple of 20 to 30 minutes presentations, but to, for instance, host the, 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 the digestive part, if you'd like, the, we, we watch this content uh, and then not necessarily are able to immediately respond to that, but then organize a week later another follow-up event with the same speakers to do the Q&A, mm. uh, to give people the time to digest, you know, come up with good questions and then have an in-depth conversation later. So I think these three elements, more repetitive, more engaging, and, you know, uh, adhering to a format that allows for a better, let's say, digesting of the content mm -hmm. are three ways in which virtual events, hybrid events moving forward will make learning uh, much more effective. And, and the kind of events that we support are mostly conferences are mostly knowledge intensive events where learning is key. Um, I'm very excited about the future of, of that being so much more effective than it ever was. Mm. I, I'm I'm very keen to talk about some of the the I suppose developments adaptations that you've made to, to conference compass as a as a platform in the last six to twelve months because again look, looking through this this document that you produced it strikes me straight away that there's a lot of features available within the platform that in other instances would require organizers maybe to have you know these tech stacks where they need you know three or four different providers to provide. Q&A or, or speaker management or, or streaming solutions. Um, ha have you consciously tried to, you know, integrate as many features as possible into Conference Compass so that organizers don't have the complication of having to integrate multiple different providers? Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's been a couple of drivers to how we decided to develop the platform in the way, you know, we did. Um, we, we, First of all, we always came from being a mobile event app uh, provider. That's been our legacy for you know, the first eight to nine years of our, of our existence and, and very specified uh, in the domain of conferences where, again, knowledge and content is so, you know, so much on the forefront. Um, and when we decided to, uh, to include the live streaming as a fundamental part of you know, our offering, Clearly driven by the, by the by the pandemic and what that did to our industry, our customers, and, mm. and ourselves, we decided that we needed to do at least three things really well. First of all, we needed to make it easy for our customers, and that we, in our understanding of, of easy, it means that you'd be able to set up your rooms, your virtual rooms, your in the, in, in the in an easy way straight out of the gates from our platform. So no need to. And set up your sessions in Zoom or another platform and copy pasting links. Hmm. Um, we wanted to do that out of the box from our platform. That's one. The second one is that we uh, wanted it to um, to be our own developed user experience. So we yeah. also decided to do live streaming um, using you know an existing platform. Yes, but only the using the what's called the software development kit, the SDK of that. So we built the whole UI. Uh, and the entire user experience uh, around that. So that means that we could really address the use cases, our customers doing conferences, uh, address those in a great UI and not require our customers to deal with the, let's say the limitations of a more general streaming platform that is for, you know, corporate meetings, for, sure. yeah. for, you know, uh, for, for any types of, you know, work-related meetings that are not, in, in many cases, not at all, uh, touching on the same requirements as, as conferences. 
Mm. And the third one is that we needed it to be, let's say, future-proof. So we wanted it to be one single platform combining online and the mobile app. We've always, as I said, you know, came from uh, our legacy is mobile event apps. Uh, and uh, we felt, okay, we not only need a solution for, let's say, the pandemic, we need a solution that's future-proof. So not only our investment making into this, but also our customers who choose to work with us on this are not, shouldn't be seeing this as an expense. Mm-hmm. Let's say we do this now and then we, you know, that's money, you know, spent, let's move on. No, see that as an investment as well that they can build on for their other events, whatever format they will take, the hybrid or blended, whatever you want to call it, format moving forward. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and something that again, jumped out to me, um, looking, looking through the document, um, is from a technical setup point of view, you've clearly addressed the needs of, of organizers and what AV technicians and, and, and production managers will, will potentially need or, or want to make their lives a little bit easier when they're now delivering hybrid events. A lot of platforms that we've spoken to and that we've all seen and, and, and heard and used in the last 12 months are very much geared towards virtual events and a lot of them do the job very, very well. It's interesting to see that you very, very specifically looked at the technical requirements of a hybrid event, i.e. where you may have a speaker in person in a room in front of a live audience who is also being you know, translated through a video link to a virtual audience as well. Um, and there are options for you know, speaker views, for AV technicians to, 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 to control some of that. Just tell us in a bit more detail about some of the thinking behind those particular features and, and what you've managed to incorporate into the platform. Yeah, thanks. So uh, clearly this was driven from the kind of questions we've been getting from our customers and and partners. Uh, You know, they are smart people. They know what they're talking about. So they go straight into the hard questions of, okay, great. But how will we do this in a hybrid setup? How will we connect this to the, to the AV? And um, so early on that forced us to think about it very well and to come up with, you know, answers and, 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 and test these answers in our conversation. So that's how it was, you know, how we decided to spend our time and energy on, on figuring this out. Um, but uh, yeah, to get to your point, to live stream some content from the room to an online audience, let's say that's the easy part. Hmm. But to make it engaging for all attendees involved, need, need, that means that uh, there should be a, an easy and unified way for attendees in the room, attendees in the in the in the online room to be uh, to be to be able to participate, and then you arrive on questions like, okay, so if a speaker has a has a question that let's say in, in a voting a polling question, so and that speaker is in the room, how can people participate? Well, then you you can think of easy way to make the on the, the on-site participants participate but then how to include the online participants and the other way around as well like if the second speaker actually joins remotely and that person brings up a a, a question we can all envision how the you know remote people would would vote because it, it's like a virtual event but how about the people in the room so we thought really well of how uh how first of all the speaker whether they present online or in person, what kind of controls they need to create those polls. And they will be created from our platform to make it a great unified experience. The second thing is we thought about how can we make the audience participate? Well, we have the mobile app for the people in the room 
And whenever the speaker starts a question, it immediately you know pops up as a as a in the screen. So there's no searching, and the speak and the people in the room can simply you know vote vote their option in the same way as the online people would do. And the third one is how to then display and show these results on stage. And then you we devised a, a different uh, dedicated uh, let's say display that's streamed beamed if you like to uh, to the big screen in the room compared to what the audience members online see in their, let's say, virtual room and, sure, and, yeah. and, and, and optimize the space. So we, we really thought about those, you know, main, three main touch points of the user story of engagement at a hybrid event. Yeah. The speaker, the attendees, and the display online, and, and, and then figure that out. And actually, the page that we included in the, in the, uh, in the brochure, the document that you have, in front of you is is only one of them of a series of screens because we also discovered okay there's no one way to do this there it actually depends on how how much flexibility or how much control you want to give the speaker in the room mm -hmm. versus how let's say complicated you want it to make so you could do it very simple uh, taking those controls away from the speaker and into the hands of a trained moderator, a trained technician in the back of the room who controls this. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but that would require a speaker to say, well, next question, please. You know, yeah. Or you'd have perhaps for smaller rooms or for rooms where you, for sessions where you have the, the time and, and, um, and you'd want the speakers to, to, to do this themselves. You want to give those controls to the speakers. You can sure. do with fewer people in the room but it requires something extra for the speaker. So we've devised a number of those use cases of how to make this actually work. And I got to say, we, we, uh, we, we learn on, as we go, we've had a, a series of, of hybrid events at, at this point. And uh, one thing that you know, is really um, striking out is that the, the, the communication, the interaction between our team and the AV people on site is crucial to really, you know, make this work and to learn from how to do it is even better. So it's, it's also reinforced our, our, you know, relationships with the with the AV partners in the in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, are you hoping as well that it's going to perhaps simplify the lives of of, of technicians, of on site speakers, because hopefully there are going to be fewer things to physically plug in and fewer inputs to have to switch on and off screens and things like that because you know we're still very much in a learning phase aren't we you know we've had 12 months to adjust to using these platforms but now that in-person events are back we're now in a learning phase of how to deliver these hybrid events so i suppose ultimately we need to make it as simple as possible at the moment whilst we all learn about how to deliver these effectively yeah absolutely i i really see this as a as the starting point let's say the first page of a new chapter of our entire industry that's called the future of events right and it's mm. it's you can call it hybrid you can call it blended but what it is is i think what you started with how to combine those superpowers uh of you know this of in-person events and we all know those superpowers like really well personal uh, uh, connections emotion the, the experience the the um, the networking and the you know the human factor, for and the superpowers of online events, lowering mm -hmm. the barriers for engagement, content uh, on demand access, you know, better learning abilities, more more you know tools available to to to, to have the audience participate. How to combine those two superpowers to create, you know, as I say, this uh, this new chapter in the, in of our industry. 
So I that that chapter is right now very very much unwritten, mm-hmm. and we're all writing the pages of that of that book. Uh, and the the one thing everybody needs to do, and, and and we including ourselves, it's it's really part of our DNA is to listen well, ask the right questions, uh, speak out when you don't get it, and try to really get it and learn as you go. So that's mm. super important. We all need to be in, our, in this industry right now at our sort of in our in our learning on steroids mo- mode. We <laughs> yeah. really need to go, you know, go, we've, we've maybe aged a, while, a bit, but we need to go back to, you know, the, the way we used to be learning and 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 when we were in, in primary school and, and high school. Absolutely. Um, and, and um, I suppose when, when it comes to that learning element, um, and it's very apt that you say that because I was just then looking at, at the round table element of of uh, of things, and again, I I've seen firsthand how important the round table element of of online events has become, because we were desperate last year to try and replicate that networking that we get when we go to an in person event. Dare I say it, it's relatively easy to stream somebody who is delivering a PowerPoint or a Google slide session, you know, down a video link. One person with a presentation is relatively simple, but to replicate 10 or 12 people sat around a table, having that discussion, that peer to peer networking that we all like when we go to, to, to events, um, the, the, the round table element of virtual platforms and digital platforms is really, really important. And um, I wonder if we could just dive into that in detail for a couple of minutes and talk about some of the features and, and what you look to address with the round table element of the platform. Yeah. Well, first of all, it, it may not be that, um, let's say, round tables are the best uh, suitable for hybrid events. That may very well be. Sure. It may also very well be that it's a very much a matter of preference of mm-hmm. how one event organizer and one you know group of, of, of uh, attendees and speakers just you know tries to do that one either only with online participants or only with in-person participants. Mm-hmm. Um, and but what we are doing is well offer that first of all, but also offer ways to still try and have the best possible experience if you try to blend those two audiences together. And, and one thing that really stands out is that you then need um, in-person, uh, either in-person attendees to join easily from a quiet place using their computer or their smartphones or tablets. So that's where a mobile app also really comes in to join mm-hmm. uh, the conversation with the others or around an actual physical table with uh, a screen uh, and, a, and a camera connected to our platform and basically see the audience, the in-person audience, as one of the video feeds, one of the video tiles in our in our screen. Audio is going to be a challenge then. Ideally, yes. you do that in a quiet room, or you'd have people wear wear headphones. So that may impose, that will impose um, requirements on the on the setup in on site, in the availability of rooms or the availability of uh, of headphone equipment, mm-hmm. and that all factors into how event organizers will will, ha- will go and make their choices of when to use what kind of use case and what kind of setup. 
But but because um, one question that springs to mind is the one of connectivity, which has been a an ongoing discussion in the industry for 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 years now. You know, when we talk about you know more digital platforms being deployed at, at in person events, um, the connectivity has had to become a lot better. And obviously, venues have worked to improve their infrastructure, and providers have also come up with innovative ways to to supply mobile connections as redundancies if if, if the the, you know, the in house connections are not great, but I suppose when we start looking now down this learning curve of hybrid events and utilizing platforms to stream content out at the same time as your live in-person content in the room, the subject of connectivity clearly, you know, is going to come to the fore again. Um, how has have you been able to sort of, you know, tweak or amend the platform in such a way that it it helps reduce the amount of connectivity physically required? Hmm, gotcha. Yeah, a very good point. Well, first of all, we've designed a platform um, and are improving it as we go to require the least amount of bandwidth as possible. So we try to be uh, smart in the way we implement things in our algorithms we, we implement in how uh, the bandwidth is, is utilized. And mm -hmm. that's going to be very important for you know those joining online uh, on site, but also online. We've seen that um, the whole inclusivity part that I really advocate of being able to include more, let's say, democrat uh, democratically people all across the world, regardless of their, you know, their their budgets, their age, or health and safety requirements in in an event. Um, that also means that we have to lower the requirements for joining the platform. That yeah. means it needs to work really well, even in let's say poorer internet bandwidth conditions on all their computers and so on. So that's, that's one thing we are really addressing. Uh, and secondly, it, yeah, maybe you... you know, no, I, I was just going to say that that's an interesting point because that goes back to one of the, the trends at, at the very start of this document, which stronger calls for inclusivity. You know, if we're mm -hmm. going to offer hybrid events, we're able to offer them to people who may not be able to travel, who may not be able, who may not have great internet connections, you know, international visitors who can now essentially dial into these events that in the past they may not have been able to consider whether it be financially or geographically so if we're going to address the issue of inclusivity we also have to address the issue of connectivity absolutely they are very well connected to uh, to each other very much connected absolutely yeah, yeah. sorry i i i interjected no. just, just just to make that point yeah. as you were, well that's as you, were um, you asked it. like what it, what are we doing to to um, facilitate that, especially um, like considering the years long, decades long struggle for venues to provide good connectivity to the people on, on site? Well, that's one thing we're doing. Uh, there's also uh, there's a limit to what we can do here because you know when it comes down to connectivity in uh, in in the venue, that's not something we we control. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm positive minded, and I I do see a couple of trends that I think will, will make things easier. Like, sure. First of all, now, I think in the past, I think there are like maybe five reasons. Let me go through them quickly. First reason um, of me being optimistic is that in the past, I think connectivity, Wi-Fi was considered a nice to have in the, in the venues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, we need to accommodate people to be able to check their emails and to do those things. I mean, that's, that's something we got to offer, right? And now it becomes a must-have. So I think that adds to uh, the, the kind of attention uh, that is being put into that. Secondly, 
Um, I think 4G, 5G, but m mostly 4G um, uh, is, is so prevalent and is so, uh, um, uh, in many cases, in the, in the EU, for instance, including, I believe, in, even, even Great Britain and, uh, mm -hmm. and other, yeah. other countries you know, on the European uh, uh, continent and, and, and your islands, uh, they're all part of an agreement to make uh, mobile data use um, in other countries in Europe according to the same plan as in your home land. Of so course, that means yeah. basically for most people, for many people, that they have almost unlimited internet, um, let's say, uh, bandwidth mm -hmm. when traveling in Europe. And that together with the more local, smaller events, I think make it more likely that a large portion of the people participating on site will not need and not even be looking for the Wi-Fi, but they're just going to use their 4G. And I would recommend that as well from a safety perspective. Like, um, internet safety, I mean. So you want to, yeah. it's just way more safer, more you'll, you'll manage your privacy much better if you use your 4G instead of joining the, the venue's Wi-Fi. So that's another trend. And there are a few more if you, you want to go into that. No, no, well, no, just, just, just on that point, it, 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 it is, again, it's a great one to raise because in the early days of mobile internet, you know, with the first, you know, smartphones, the first, you know, iPhones when they, they came out, um, that we were still in that situation where if we went abroad, if we went to an international event or if we went on holiday for for a week or two weeks, you know, you'd have to buy these sort of specific plans that would cost you a lot of money and give you hardly any data because you couldn't use it abroad. Then we reached this nice period, certainly, you know, within the EU where we were able to to, to utilize our, our data plans in any part of, of the EU. And then, of course, Brexit happened and that threw up more questions about whether or not that would be the case going forward. And um, I, I suppose not even even outside of Europe, internationally now, we're so used to just being able to access the internet at the click of a button or, or, or the flick of a, a swipe up the screen on our mobile devices that it, it is becoming more and more critical that we retain that, you know, for especially in the events industry where we want to promote, you know, international visitors and you know, we want people to start coming back to our international events. You know, we've got to make it easy for them to be able to stay connected and do the things that they do on a daily basis. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think, like I said earlier, I think it's very well much driven from a trend that's like outside of the events industry already happening for so long. People expect to be connected also with, with voice and video to their families when traveling. And that's, mm. you know, the event industry is, is not special in that way. You know, you're, you, you need that uh, uh, just as much as you need it for, for other reasons. And I don't think we need to be or even want to be um, uh, dependent on what the venue offers. I think yeah. that's really important for the AV companies being on site and, you know, having powerful networks to stream the content, not wisely, but through, you know, Ethernet cables, just have the bandwidth available for that. And regard the attendees, uh, try to make a judgment call of how, many of your attendees will not be able to use their 4G and accommodate Wi-Fi for them, but uh, the others will, uh, will, will simply roam as they, uh, as, they, mm. as they would on other places of their, of their travel. We're, we're, we're moving on uh, th through time on today's podcast, Yoma, but um, you mentioned that there are, there are a couple of other points that, um, you know, as well as connectivity that we were just discussing, um, perhaps 
briefly before we wrap up today. Um, let, let, let's get to some of those other points that you were referencing. The the, the trends, you mean? Yes, yes, yes. The trends. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we like the, we talked about smaller, more local events. Um, we we briefly talked about inclusivity, and I mean inclusivity is a is a loaded term, uh, uh, and and I I'm not considering inclusivity in any political political mm. uh, way, just as a just just as a way to give an equal level level playing field for people all across the world uh, to be able to join uh, you know those events mostly those events that we support the conferences with, which are about learning which are about connecting to other people connecting to the industry mm. uh, and the more accessible we can make that uh, the better it, everyone the entire world will be of uh, mm. uh, so that in includes giving people a choice i think it's fundamentally about giving people the opportunity and a choice uh, whether they want to join online or in person yeah. um, and that freedom i think is going to be key moving forward and you, i don't want to travel uh, anymore um, as much as i did prior to uh, to the pandemic and it's not because of a health and safety concern from from my from my perspective for others it will be uh, it's perhaps not even a, a budget reason although Mm. partly it is but it's also very much a, a, a reason of how i want to spend my time i have a family i think you see in the background some some signs of me having a young kids i don't want to be mm -hmm. away from home as much as i i was before so that's my reason and others will have their own reasons to make this decisions between how they want to join events moving forward so that's a very important one another trend is about obviously increasing uh, awareness for the environmental impact of our traveling of course um, the, it's it's been a topic forever, you know. For the last so many years, there've been talks about uh, about this at, uh, at 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 conferences and also at, at events for the industry, right? So the event industry, you know, obviously we are joining, we are gathering as well to exchange our, our thoughts mm. and learn about best practices and new insights. And this has been a topic uh, forever. I think people have been very conflicted about. So you know, how can we advocate uh, environmental impact? when um, lowering environmental impact when you know all we do is organizing events requiring people to travel and, uh, and put more co co2 well, in the, in the well, well, well on that subject you know it, it became obvious if we all think back to last year to spring last year when the pandemic hit and pretty much every country in the world went into a really tight lockdown there were no cars on the road there were no buses. There were you know, very few trains. There was no air travel. There were no planes in the air. And within a few weeks of the lockdown being implemented internationally, you were reading about lower CO2 levels, clearer skies. The air was just just, just felt cleaner. You know, I, I know people who live in, in London who said it was noticeably different, you know, that they could look up and the, the, just the sky at night was just clearer because of the, the reduction in air travel. So within a matter of weeks, by reducing our, our, our emissions and reducing the amount of vehicles that we were using to get from A to B, there was a clear impact on that. So I, I think if people didn't need, if anybody needed convincing more so than the evidence that's already out there, just that initial part of the lockdown last year where we stopped traveling and the clear and obvious benefits that that gave us, um, I, I think, is as, as bigger, uh, uh, as bigger 
incentive as you ever need to look at reducing travel and offering opportunities to people who may choose not to travel from a sustainability point of view. Absolutely. Uh, so, so this is not something sustainable, right? This was only the, the fact that we no one traveled was obviously just for a few weeks. And then mm. I think that part of that get, got back to normal um, pretty quickly. I, I saw I was in traffic jams uh, as much as I was before, uh, before mm. COVID uh, a couple mm -hmm. of months into the pandemic. But um, well, first of all, I think it opens people, open people's eyes. Yeah. And secondly, well, I, I think, you know, we are going to see a lot of positive impact from the electric vehicles moving forward, uh, but for international travel planes, um, they will take will take much much longer. I think to, for them to go uh, well electric uh, or you know in, in 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 another way that reduces their impact on the on the on the CO two. So for international travel, especially, uh, I think that that would be you know top of mind for people who are like, well, I'm just I'm driving an electric vehicle now. I have solar panels on my rooftop. I'm I'm mindful of you know the the meat that I eat and you know how I live my life. And then I'm still traveling by airplane, you know, five times a year to those to those destinations. Really, so I think that will help to make people say, okay, I'm going to just pick two or one. Okay, for those I really want to be there in person. And that's international travel. I will join a few others by train that are more local, and then the others I will join uh, I will join online. Uh, mm -hmm. First of all, more opportunities for learning and content because I think people will attend more events this way. But also, secondly, more choice for people to kind of live their life in the way they want to be with the things they value, uh, including environmental impact. Absolutely. Um, we're coming close to time, Yama. So if you don't mind, I'd like to skip on to a question that I think is really important to ask before we wrap today. And it's the, one of sponsorship opportunities, financial opportunities for organizers with hybrid events. Um, whether or not you think that, you know, are, are we... Are we still very much at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to exploring the opportunities that hybrid events now present from a revenue and a sponsorship opportunity for organizers? Hmm. Yeah, very much so at the tip of the iceberg. At the same time, we've also learned so much uh, over the over the last year or more. Uh, we've learned also we ourselves as exhibitors at, at trade shows we attend, but also the exhibitors and uh, sponsors at the conferences we support. We've seen a bunch of things that work and a bunch of things that don't work. I think, like broadly speaking, what doesn't work online and neither I think it's ever worked in person is to be passive, to be mm -hmm. just standing in front of your booth and have people walk around, walk by and you know speak to them or hope that they'll speak to you and then just fingers crossed, hopefully there, you know you're winning your target market of all the. The people that are there and chances are they are not and you're speaking and wasting your time on the wrong people <laughs> that's been always a factor and now it's been amplified like many things the pandemic has done is amplified things that were already you know brewing boiling boiling there things that were not right or trends that have been you know started everything's been amplified by the pandemic and this is one you can't be passive you you never it was a great strategy to be passive and hope <laughs> for wish for great meetings at your in-person event at an online event forget about it you're not going to have people walk by your booth and speak to you you need first of all there are a couple of things you you can do and um, content works really well online in an online event so 
the more the most successful exhibitors that we've seen and the most success we've had being exhibitors is when we had something to say and there was a time allocated for us to uh, speak on a subject we were knowledgeable about and that others especially those in our target market wanted to hear from so we were meeting uh, not with 200 people but then with maybe 10 or 12 people that they were mm. the right kind of people and they were interested in what we had to say and they were you know, they were buying in you know our credibility so that's very important um another thing that's very important is the data we're gathering it's so hard to gather data at in-person events and um uh, data is obviously much more easy to gather in an, in an online space so uh, figure out what the data it is that that you need to um, get so they either they test either approve or disprove the uh, the the, uh, the the objectives you've set for your own you know trade mm-hmm. show participant mm-hmm. and look honestly at the data and, and try to t- take lessons what worked what didn't work so that's that's data super important um, and data c- goes across, you know, all aspects, simply banners, sort of visibility kind of, you know, data, but also very much engagement and, and, and interaction. And, and then we get to the last point, and that's the, let's say, the, the, the coincidence of meeting the right people. We want to reduce that coincidence as much as possible. We want mm-hmm. to make everybody's time to be well spent, not just for the exhibitors talk to the right people, but also the other way around. So wasted time, I think, is something that really should be something of the past very soon. And technology can be a key to that based on yeah. uh, your preferences, your profile, AI. You can have the right uh, matches between people who will have... Uh, basically, it doesn't matter if it's about a research topic or it's about you know talking about learning about a product. It's worth your while. That's the kind of measure we, we all want to be optimizing absolutely we've been talking on the podcast today to conference compass ceo yelma von ast who's joined us today to talk about this fascinating document that conference company uh, compass produced called organizing hybrid events discover how to run the most engaging hybrid events and um uh, genuinely i would urge anybody tuning into the podcast today to get in touch with the guys at conference compass and and get a copy of this document have a read through it there's loads of stuff that you'll be able to to, to pick out and not, you know even if you're not a user of their platform there's fantastic information in there. You can have a look through it and there'll be loads of stuff that um, will get you thinking and asking your own questions um, about how you're delivering hybrid events. Um, and, and we should say, Yelma, before we wrap today, um, that if anybody does want to get in touch with you, um, how, how do they find you? How do they get in touch? Um, where do they go? Right. So go to our website, conferencecompass.com. Uh, go to our, our LinkedIn or Twitter or any of those handles. But um also, feel free to reach out to me. I'm very happy to speak with you or refer you to a colleague. And, uh, and you'll, you'll find me on LinkedIn just by searching for my name. I think that's the easiest way. Yeah, and uh, and I, I I did that exactly myself this morning. I just checked the Conference Compass LinkedIn page. So uh, if you just go onto LinkedIn and, uh, and and search for Conference Compass, you'll find the guy's page. And uh, yeah, you, you'll, you'll be able to, to, to connect with their communities on there. And um, yeah, genuinely, I, I, I may, maybe I don't say this enough with with our guests, but, but in this instance, go and check out this document. Um, ask for it to be sent through to you as a, as a PDF or have a read through that what they're doing because there's loads of interesting stuff 
stuff there and it's really easy to digest and pick things out of that um of that document so yelma i i should say thank you not just for joining us today but for you know for for, for putting this document together for sending it through for me to look at and um for making it available to our to our podcast listeners it's been uh, been great to see you again and uh, great to have a chat with you on the podcast again likewise thanks james it was a pleasure not a problem at all. And of course, if any of our podcast viewers and followers wish to get in touch with us, uh, if you're listening to today's podcast, head over to eventindustrynews.com and you can check out video versions of all the podcasts as well as all the latest news, features and supplements that is on eventindustrynews.com. Of course, if you're already on the website today and you're watching this, well, hello to you as always. Don't forget that you can go to your podcast platform on your mobile device, whichever one you use, and uh, listen to audio versions of all of our 250-something podcasts. And it brings us to the end of another episode. It's been great to be joined by Yama Van Aast from Conference Compass today. My name is James Dixon, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Event Industry News Podcast. Goodbye, everybody.